You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, we might see ourselves as we are, but moreover, we might behold your Son, Jesus, in all of his awful and beautiful majesty on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. I do not think it is a great assumption to believe that those of you who are here today are Christians. You are here because the cross holds meaning for you. And you want to be with all the believers on a day like today, Good Friday. There may also be some of you who just came along because of invitation, curiosity, or don't know where else to go as you find yourself in a mess and the doors of the church were open. Regardless of who you are, we are all in the same boat and all are welcome. I think too that there is an a unifying question that brings us together whether you are a believer in Jesus or not we're all here because we feel deeply the need for forgiveness for cleansing if not you'll probably find this service a waste of time and this sermon definitely a waste of time because most of us are Christians or because all of us are looking for forgiveness the epistle to the Hebrews today gives us a definitive word. The writer is writing to a religious people, a people who know their spiritual business and yet find themselves confused about what makes a person clean, what makes a person whole, what saves a person. And it is for those who want to know just who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he in fact did. How do we live life with a clear conscience? A clear conscience comes through knowing Jesus Christ. But what do I mean when I say to know him? There is a great difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing them. I can tell you all about Tiger Woods. I can list his accomplishments, what kind of car he drives, the golf clubs he plays with, where he lives, even what his personal woes are. But can I say, I know him. I know a lot about him, but I do not know Tiger Woods. However, knowledge about someone is essential to knowing them. If you came up to me and asked me the following about my wife, Lauren, what is her favorite color? I don't know. When's her birthday? I don't know. Your anniversary? Got me. You don't know? You would be right to wonder if I knew my wife at all. So to know Jesus, we must know something about him. But simply knowing about him is not enough. We must actually meet him. And so this afternoon, let us meet the Lord Jesus by hearing what he has done for us through his cross and how we might trust, rely, 
and depend on him for freedom from the burden of sin. I would draw your attention to the reading in the bulletin, but know that I'm going to look back at preceding verses in chapter 10, so you might want to look in your pew Bibles on page 1007. But this afternoon, I want us especially to look at verses 17 through 22. And then he adds, that is God himself, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The author of Hebrews is setting out to tell us what Jesus' death upon the cross accomplished. What was it for and what does it do? It was for our sins that Jesus died and by his death we are forgiven and our sins have been remitted, we are told. But to so many of us, that's just information. Information heard so many more times than we can count. Information that has become so commonplace that we take little notice of it. We've gotten used to the idea that Jesus died for our sins. We may even grow apathetic as I do from time to time. But do we believe it? Do we know it? Have we experienced the truth of it? Some would empty the cross of its power and reduce it simply as a great act of love. Jesus is the grand exemplar of what it means to love another person. And certainly it is that, but it cannot simply be that. For if we think that Jesus' death on the cross is just an example or an illustration of love, if that's all we think it is, then that means we don't think that we have to be saved for much and from much. Do we really believe that we are that strong? Maybe some of us do. Maybe some of us think, I don't need to be saved from much, for my sin is no great thing. But in the quiet moments of your mind, what do your thoughts wander to? Do you begin to wonder about different scenarios of how your life might have turned out better than it has? If you had taken the position in the bigger city, if you had married somebody different, if your children had followed the path you wanted for them, and it doesn't require much imagination for these things to be realized because Facebook does it for us. In a word, how many of our lives are marked by regret? Or maybe you've arrived. You're living the good life. Your conscience is not at all burdened. Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way is the soundtrack to your life. 
But I would bet that there's still one thing, one thing that you don't want to talk about at all. And that thing is death. So many people are afraid to consider their own mortality because it's the one thing that none of us can control. We are all going to die. And what then? You have done it your way and yet still wind up in the grave. Same as everybody else. And when, do you, when you do think of death, is there not a lingering feeling of emptiness when you look at your own life and wonder, what is all this for? What does all of it mean? No, very few of us suffer from a burdened conscience, but we should. If sin is a small thing to us, then our idea of who Jesus is and what he has done is going to be very small indeed. Now even the most entrenched unbeliever will admit that they are not without fault. They have made their mistakes. They have their regrets. And Christians most especially are aware of their own shortcomings and certainly sin in their lives. And yet typically... Christians and non-Christians alike attempt to cover their shortcomings through acts of contrition, little sacrifices for little sins along the way. It may be by going to church regularly, trying to be extra nice to your family after lashing out at them, buying flowers for someone you have offended, taking someone out to lunch that you owe one to. And although we might not acknowledge it, Continual offering for sin indicates a burdened conscience, wanting to keep things even in life. Let us be in debt to no man, and certainly no God. A conscience burdened by an unbiblical view of ourselves. We think sin is no great thing, or maybe we might think it's something greater than it really is in the life of a believer. Yes, you are a sinner. Even after putting your trust in Christ, we find it to be a law that when we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Sin has been reduced to making bad choices. You are a sinner not because you sin, but you sin because you are a sinner. Focusing on the actions is like attempting to treat the symptoms of a deadly disease. It may seem to work. You no longer feel as bad as you once did, but all of a sudden the disease manifests itself in another more critical way. Indeed, continual suffering, continual attempts at atoning for sin is an acknowledgement that it doesn't work. If you visit the doctor and she tells you, I want to see you in two weeks' time. And then during that visit, she says, I want to see you again in two weeks' time. You know you're not cured. It is only when the doctor says, there's no need to see you again, that you know you are well. To defeat the symptoms, you must strike at the disease itself. It is drastic and extreme work 
It is invasive surgery. It is a cross, nails, and blood. But in light of the cross, if there is any hesitancy in coming to the great physician, it lies with us and us alone. We now have access to the Father. Hebrews uses the image of the veil rent in two. There in the temple of Jerusalem, in the very center of it all, spiritually speaking, was the Holy of Holies. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sacrifice a bull and would sprinkle the blood of this bull on the Ark of the Covenant upon the mercy seat as an atoning for the sins of the priests. He would then sacrifice a goat and sprinkle its blood on the same mercy seat as an atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. On another goat, he would lay his hands upon it and pray the sins of the people and send out the goat into the wilderness as a representation of the sins of the people being as far as the east is from the west in the sight of God. Every year this happened in the temple until its destruction in 70 A.D. This is what the priest would do. And when he would enter the Holy of Holies, on this one day, for 364 other days a year, he did not enter. He would tie a rope around his ankle. For if he were to encounter the holy and living God, unrighteousness and defiled, he would surely die, and no other priest was about to go in and get him. They would simply pull him out by the rope. Only by blood could the high priest enter. There was no messing around. As the author of Hebrews says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the priest, to get to the Holy of Holies, would pass through the great curtain. The Jewish Talmud tells us that the curtain was a hand-breath thick, that is, four fingers thick. This veil kept sinners out of the presence of a holy God. To encounter the living God, no matter how righteous, was a dangerous thing. At best, such an encounter would alter one's presence, as in the case of Moses. At worst, it would cause death. And yet these sins could not be removed. Time and time, the Old Testament and the author of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats did not remove the sins. It simply covered them. Now, how many of us have tried to do that in our own lives? We can't get rid of it, so we simply give it a new paint job. We try to spruce it up a little bit, the blemish on our face that we try to cover with product. And yet, we know all too well that it's there just covered up. Jesus' death upon the cross tears this curtain in two. And now we are able to enter the holy presence of God with confidence, a new and living way open to us through His flesh. How is this possible if sin is so great a thing? How could Jesus' death affect such a relationship with God? Well, that is because our language fails us. For we often talk about Jesus' death upon the cross forgiving us. But is it simply forgiveness 
that is offered from the cross. When I was about to turn 16 years old, my good friend Katie Schultz, who was just a couple days older than I was, turned 16, and they had a party at her house. And it was so near Christmas that her mother, Mrs. Schultz, had gotten this beautiful, intricately woven oriental rug to cover her dining room. It was really something. It was uh, immaculate. She talked about it often uh, throughout the party. She showed it off to uh, those of us who at 15 and 16 years old really couldn't readily appreciate uh, the work of art uh, that it was. And I was there with my glass of grape juice. Who serves grape juice to 15-year-olds? And I'll be honest, I was horsing around as I was often wont to do. And I spilled my grape juice, the entirety of it, there on her new rug. Time stopped. When Mrs. Schultz finally caught her breath, she ran to the kitchen and procured whatever product she could possibly procure uh, from uh, the cabinets and came back. And as she was on her hands and knees scrubbing away and blotting and receiving all kinds of advice from onlookers, she kept saying, it's just a rug. It's just a rug. Now, at first I thought she was saying that as a word of comfort to me, but she was in fact saying it to herself. It's just a rug. And she did a good job. Most of it came up. And I apologized profusely. I offered to replace the rug as if I could actually do such a thing. And Mrs. Schultz looked me square in the eyes and said, Andrew, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Well, Katie and I remained close friends, and the oriental rug remained, although it shifted rooms, made its way into the living room where a table was placed over the stain. Although most of it came up and you really had to look closely to see it, especially under the table, that thing might as well have been screaming at me. It was there, loud and clear. And even Mrs. Schultz's words ringing in my ear, I forgive you. And yet the stain was still there. The evidence of my sin. You see, some of us may understand that God has forgiven us, but we still think the stain is still there. That's why we use a very old word in some of our services that we talk about the remission of sins. Yes, God forgives us through the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. You are forgiven. But you know what else happens? Because of the cross, we experience the remission of our sins. That Jesus gets down and with his own blood, he cleans up that stain and it's no longer there screaming at you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His blood doesn't simply cover it up. It removes it as if it was never there in the first place. And that's no small work. Because I've offended God in every conceivable way. 
then sacrificing a bull or a goat will not work. If bulls and goats are enough are not enough to take away my sin, then what can? What acts of kindness and charity can I do? I can apologize. I might even receive forgiveness, but there is no remission. Any attempt I make will be deficient. For these sacrifices are but a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. His death there was a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Hear what the minister says after the confession of sin and a service of morning prayer. These are not a man or a woman standing and because they have some authority to tell that you are forgiven. We say these words because we want you to know through Jesus Christ you are forgiven. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desireth not the death of a sinner, but rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live, hath given power and commandment to his ministers to declare and pronounce to his people being penitent the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardoneth and absolveth all those who truly repent and unfailingly believe his holy gospel. The absolution and remission of your sins through the cross of Christ. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He dies on the cross not simply because of what we've done, but because of who we are. The cross was a once and for all sacrifice. Do you want to see this burden lifted? Do you want your sin to be remitted? Are you ready to be set free? Know the Lord Jesus Christ and look upon him as he dies for you and that by that death you may enter into his presence where he embraces you with his nail-pierced body. Let us pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, before thy cross, I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused thee to be made a curse, the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God, its worth infinite, its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as a shadow intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light, the air supply breath, the 
earth bear my tread, its fruits nourish me, its creatures subserve my ends. Yet thy compassions yearn over me, thy heart hastens to my rescue, thy love endured my curse, thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in thy blood, tender of conscience, and triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. In the name of the one who has died for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.